This week, I chat with tennis star Novak Djokovic's better half, wife Yelena. As global CEO of the Novak Djokovic Foundation, she discusses the impact the couple is making on families across Serbia. How do we build the legacy? How do we become um, change makers? She reveals Novak's fake wedding proposal and the real one that nearly ended in a fiery mess. I'm like, oh my God, there is a hole in a balloon. Plus, Yelena opens up about why she left Wimbledon in the middle of the tournament. I left literally within two days. I decided, you know what, I just need to go. And how they've overcome challenges in their marriage. And I think this is gonna be brave to say um, to millions of people watching, but I was trying to compete with him. All that's coming up next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. What do you remember from the first time you guys met? Well, I went to see a friend of mine play. Oh, no, it was a boyfriend, actually. I went to see him play tennis on a tournament where Novak was playing. And you played as well? I played uh, until I was like 14. Um, so I've been playing for, I was playing for seven years and then uh, my parents couldn't afford anymore. And so I kind of quit, but um, which is so beautiful because Novak's parents were also more or less in a worse situation than my parents and they did not quit. They didn't tell him you can't play anymore. So I really love that part of having two families more or less in the same financial situation. Both of us are perspective players, perspective very good. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have one kind of destiny rolled out for him and then the other one for me. And I love that, um, that we can share those experiences. Um, but um, I went to watch my boyfriend and, uh, and then there was um, this boy doing cross puzzles and um, I was thinking that's not really something usual on tennis tournaments. People usually just, I don't know, um, talk or shout or yell because usually everybody's passionate around the tennis courts. And he was just calm and just doing his you know, mind games and, and I kind of joined him. We both liked each other, but obviously I was dating somebody else. And Who was his close friend, I understand, right? Yeah, how, oh, okay, I don't know what he told you. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, he's um, where we are still close friends, actually. Um, he's Goran Tosic, he's a coach of some girl at the moment, now on the WTA. Um, he's been sitting in his Australian, uh, during his Australian Open matches in, a, in, a, uh, in our players box, cheering on for Novak, so. We're quite close friends and um, and then I saw him there and then next time I saw him again on another tournament and um, I think actually Gordon told me you know this boy is really good you know he's gonna be something special and I was like I didn't care <laughs> I was in my own world and um, we saw each other the we were seeing each other on and off for two years after that and then when I was meant to go on the universe, uh, to the university um, that summer. I was chilled and then I saw him and they called us for a party and then we danced all night and I really liked his energy. And I always, my sister asked me actually, could you date a tennis player again? Because I didn't date for a while anyone, um, the tennis player, I mean. And I said, no, because they're traveling all the time. And what's the point? You never have your boyfriend around. And uh, I remember she kind of intrigued me with that question because she saw how we both looked at each other. And uh, he had an interview and he stopped an interview 
um, and said, sorry, sorry, guys, like, I just have to give her a hug. <laughs> and I was Aww. like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was really a nice gesture. I still remember that feeling of feel like he made me feel special because I was just leaving the tennis, you know, um, facilities and he saw that I was leaving and he just wanted to give me a hug. And then from there on, it was a bit of a, his initiative, actually. Um, it was nice. What, what attracted you to him outside of the energy? Uh, always energy. I don't know. It's like his looks were fine. You know, I'm, I'm attracted to him as a man, um, but I wasn't like, oh my God, he has this and that to, you know, to speak like that. I, I was just very intrigued by his personality. He was so open and curious and his energy was, um, I don't know, I was attracted to him like that. And I'm so grateful that that was what attracted me to him because it really st sticks, you know, after all these years, that's exactly what still keeps me um, glued. <laughs> so uh, he gave his recollection of the story, but he asked that we ask you for your recollection. Uh, the semi-failed uh, marriage proposal. Oh my God. <laughs> really? Um, I don't really know what he's talking about. <laughs> the, the, the hot, so hot, air, hot air balloon. Okay. And, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, that one. Oh wait, um, there's so many. There's so many. <laughs> no, no, he's been a, a quite a because you know um, for all the ladies out there, when you are dating a professional athlete, um, you are you know kind of uh, always pushed on a second or third place because of the career, and uh, so basically there are no dating. Um, um, there is no dating, there is no romantic stuff going on because it's pretty much a lot of work. And so I've been complaining a lot about it. And because we haven't uh, gone on a date for a year because I've been around with him, supporting him on his matches, but every time he would finish, I would support him like while he's doing a massage or things like that. And um, I would even go in the bed with his massage ther therapist because he wanted to fall asleep during a massage and he didn't want to be moved from you know the bed and stuff so because when he moves then he wakes up and he can't fall asleep and he needs exact number of you know hours and things like that um, of sleep it's a he's a perfectionist and luckily I'm too so um, I could kind of go with the flow but I, I after a, a while I started being very frustrated and I said to him come on like we've been you know, all the time together, but we really don't do much for each other. And then he's like, okay, we're going on, you know, to Maldives because that's where we, you know, kind of um, uh, at the end of the year, at the end of the season, we go there and we um, have our holiday, just the two of us. And so um, there he kind of did a fake proposal, <laughs> which was like, we both agreed that we're not gonna um, get married soon. Well, he agreed more than me. I was like, what's like we are dating for seven years and um, where are we heading? It was a taboo topic at that moment because he's like, I'm in a career moment mode, like I have to focus on that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so he wanted to surprise me. So he, all around the island, he did surprise dinners. So a starter would be on this part of the island and uh, you know, the main course would be here, a dessert would be there. And then all of a sudden, you know, they blindfold me and they take me and on a reef somewhere. And then there is this altar, like you have to go through, like with the palm trees, you go, I don't know, it's strange. With the, and then they digged around the heart and they did the fake smoke. So I'm like on a floating heart on, of the sand, made of sand. 
and there is a table and on the table is um, a beautiful uh, setting set up with uh, a, like a, a, um, from the sugar cane they did like a, a kind of like a cage and in the cage is a is a is a ring and next to the ring is I love you letter and a little toy poodle because I didn't bring my dog with me and I really missed him dog Pierre and uh, and then he was looking at me and he was like this is all I want to do for you but it's not a proposal <laughs> So that's the fake proposal, but the real one was actually really... Uh, Wait, what, what did you say when he said this isn't the real proposal? Well, I had to turn around towards the people, all, all the people who participated in his surprise dinner because he wanted to put all the dates that we didn't do throughout the year into that one, you know? <laughs> and so I had to turn around to them, no, it's not a proposal, you don't have to like wait because they were waiting to, for me to put the ring on and then they clap or something because that's what they do on those romantic islands and um, I was a bit, I, it was awkward and I kept uh, telling every girl um, about his surprises and then they go like, I would kill him, I would kill him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so um, no, but the real proposal was uh, again a one that it's going to stay around for a while and you know, been, you know, if he spoke about it then I don't need to repeat it. Oh, what's, okay, what's your, uh, <laughs> what did you think was going on when, so so um, I was jet lagged. I came from um, Orlando. I was on a, a week of training and um, corporate training. And then I came back and he first asked my parents um, if he can ask me to marry him. And they said yes. And he arranged everything behind the, uh, the scenes, you know. And I arrived jet lagged and he's like, okay, we have a day before I go to China. I want to take you on a surprise trip. But I'm not going to tell you where we're going, nothing. And so. Um, we arrived for the dinner, that's our um, anniversary, 8th anniversary, and he rushes me through the dinner. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is why we came here for, because like, we took a helicopter to have dinner in a Provence, in a beautiful place, um, some old monastery kind of turned into a hotel. And uh, what are you doing? And then he was like, okay, it's time, we go to sleep, tomorrow is a new day. And I was really frustrated. My sister was calling me saying, oh, what happened? And I'm like, nothing happened again, you know? <laughs> and then he wakes up at 6 a.m. The, the, the phone is, uh, the alarm is going on and he starts dancing on the alarm. I, I, I just fell asleep. Like at 5 a.m. I fell asleep and at 6 a.m. is the alarm clock. I have no clue what is going on. And he never wakes up like that, energized, you know, especially at 6 a.m. And I'm like, what are you doing? So he's trying to keep it all private and everything. And then once we get to that um, um, hot air balloon, I'm really sleepy. So I take my phone out and I'm filming because I'm like, you know what? I might not going to remember any of it. So I might as well record <laughs> right. it and watch later. And then he basically lets me enjoy when we're taking off. And I'm looking and the guy is saying how you never know when you take off where you're going to land and where the balloon is going to go. You're just, you know, uh, measuring the speed of the wind and the direction of the wind and you're guessing more or less and I'm taking it in slowly because my brain is still sleeping and I'm seeing a hot air balloon right in front of us and I'm like whoa is this part of the plan are we meant to like are we gonna collide what's gonna happen and I say, are we meant to meet another uh, hot air balloon on our way? And he goes like, no, this is awkward. What's happening? So my brain starts going a bit like, 
like what's gonna happen and uh, that hot air balloon I can see the pilot and the lady in it sort of panicking a little bit because I guess in their minds they were like okay we have this one opportunity we don't know where the wind is gonna go take us and so we better be fast she is he's uh, lighting that fire and the um, lady is trying to undo um, the something that is wrapped and basically I'm like what is he doing what is this? is this emergency ladders is, is he gonna jump out what's gonna happen like that's how my brain is working and then we are flying and when when he finally manages to unwrap it he burns the balloon because he cut his um, um, what's the basket where he is kind of turned because he was trying to this and this and then it burned and there is a hole I'm like oh my god there is a hole in a balloon and then the thing falls down and it says and I'm reading it slowly because it's letter up you know and I'm like ooh in Serbian but I'm like it's a commercial is he crazy at 7 a.m why would he want to put a commercial out it's not a commercial oh my god and he's already down on the knee <laughs> I'm like oh come on <laughs> <laughs> so I actually thought it's like an evacuation plan but it wasn't it was um it was a marry me and it was really nice I'm still I think that's the joke and the the fun aspect of our dating that we always make fun of everything that happens <laughs> and the rest is history you know Novak and I sat down for a couple hour interview the only topic that made him uncomfortable in the entire interview was when I asked him uh, more kids uh, and he's his you know face gets a little red he's like you're gonna get me in trouble uh, and I'm like all right well how about this one uh, do you or Elena uh, want to have uh, more kids who's pushing for it he's like oh me a hundred percent care to elaborate well I've raised these two kids pretty much um, with full power and honestly I grew up in a family of two I have two hands I feel like I have uh, devoted myself and I want to still keep on giving them the balanced me and you have him as well <laughs> and I have him as a baby as well that likes a lot of attention so I am I am handsful I don't think I need more but I understand him he missed out a lot you know and uh, he would want probably when he finishes the career to kind of have another go um, another take in the young kids um, but you know I, I, I don't I don't want to say no to the life I'm just saying no as my choice and then we'll see what happens how has having kids changed your guys lives Dramatically, it changed me a lot. Um, I was really focused on him and his career and his needs a lot. And um, it kind of becomes a bit frustrating when you realize that your needs are unmet because I haven't been paying attention to what I really need. And then, um, then somehow naturally, um, I couldn't anymore direct my frustration towards him thinking it's his fault because it's not his fault, it was my choice. And all of a sudden I've become a mom and um, I really love what he did to me, Stefan. I think he shook my core completely and made me realize that I really need to take care of myself. And How so? Well, because in order for me to be a good mom, I have to really be good with myself. Um, you know how they say that the children should stand on the shoulders of their parents? Well, I felt like, whoa, how do I 
raise a kid that is going to exceed his father, that is constantly improving and constantly growing in his results. And how am I going to, you know, he's a historical figure already, you know, and at the age of 30 and I have this kid and I have to do something special. And that's how I started thinking. And that made me really um, anxious as a mom. I feel like it destroyed me uh, and the vision of who I am. I thought I was a superwoman. I can do everything. I can meet my husband's expectations. I can meet my kids' expectations. And luckily all of that happened to me so that I could actually wake up one day and say, you know what, this is enough. Let me think what I, let me see what I need and then I can give. I actually decided in the middle of Wimbledon to leave. Um, to a trip, a spiritual trip to Ecuador and, uh, and that was a beautiful thing for me and very important. Just by yourself? Yeah, I left literally within two days I decided, you know what, I just need to go. Because we had the, um, he won Roland Garros and then he was like, okay, I'm on the move, I have to, you know, win. And I actually, I, I gave myself so much for every of those tournaments. I feel like after, every time after Roland Garros, I'm done, I'm spent, and yeah. I need a break. I was like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna go. And he was like, you know what, I, I get it, because he's always so supportive. And he was like, you know, I'm so happy that you wanna go and do something for yourself, you deserve it. And he was always like that. Unfortunately, he did lose when I left, so there was always this kind of conversation in our... Uh, <laughs> he was like, um, I'm not sure you should leave in the middle of the tournament, maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because yesterday I was talking to him about this slump that he went in uh, starting in, you know, 2016, where, you know, the, the play's declining, then he has surgery, then he takes time off, and he was very open about how that actually coincided with when you guys were having challenges in your marriage. He's like, look, I, it actually made us a lot stronger. Always. And I, I'm so glad that we went through that as a couple. Like, how similar was that for you? Um, every, every obstacle we meet uh, together is always making us stronger, definitely. Um, and we are a very passionate couple, so um, we do collide a lot with thinking and with doing um, and some uh, and at the moment I have this motherly me present all the time which is slowing him down on some of his decisions he wants to fly he wants to go high he wants to do things and I go like you know what well, we do have a two kids that we decided to have together to you know now and we gotta you know readjust our choices when the two of you were going through challenges in your relationship what did it teach you about yourself one thing is for sure is that I found peace within rather than looking for it outside and I've also realized I want to live this life with a purpose meaning I don't want to be a victim of life like be um, oh I'm doing this because I have to or because he said so or because he he's doing this now I have to do this as well I don't have a choice and things like that I realized I do have a choice I am not a victim of life and I want to live it full on. So all of my choices that I'm making are for my body to have energy to live this life with, you know, purpose. What did it teach you about Novak? That he's already there, that everything that he's doing, it's kind of um, exactly what I've learned about myself because he really is good at taking care of himself. He's really good at that. Um, and I thought at the moments that that's very selfish, but it's actually not. <laughs> it's what everybody should be doing uh, so they can show up with the energy and with love and with this giving 
attitude and he's always this caring person and you know loving person and I guess that's why he has kids so they can learn him teach him patience as well um, because they need time for everything and he doesn't have time and so it's a it's a good balance that they bring to him how about the the hardest time in the relationship for the two of you and how you guys got through it I think this is gonna be brave to say um, to millions of people watching but I was trying to compete with him because I felt like I'm also deserving and I'm not getting enough um, credit for what I'm doing because I'm doing it more in the backstage my ego was there battling also an uh, internal battle because I always felt like I can express so much more but I have to do it quietly and uh, basically as a woman you're not allowed to speak up a lot you're not allowed to show up a lot and um, there is this stereotype about who is the wife of an athlete how she should look like how she should behave and I don't fit very well into that stereotype um, and I'm glad I don't because I don't need to but it, sure. it was hard because I was judged because of it I was trying to conform at first because I was meant to be interested in fashion I was meant to be interested in looks and you know um, different kinds of things but and and that's all fun but it just doesn't inspire me so I had to invent my place and that was a competition like I'm gonna prove you know um, I'm gonna prove something that we can be at other things than just a girlfriend or just a wife and always I am the wife but now I'm proudly wearing that title rather than feeling like oh here we go the wife okay let me sit and smile you know yeah. so it, it's a great transformation for me was there a moment where you thought he was close to quitting he said to me um, that he's quitting and that's the truth he actually said he um, lost in Miami was a terrible loss and then he just you know gathered all of us and said you know guys I'm done and I um, I was like what and he goes like yeah then he says Eduardo you can speak with uh, my sponsors I want to be clear with them I don't know if I'm stopping for six months a year or forever just tell them if they feel like staying around they can if they don't I'm happy I just want to make sure everybody's okay with this I'm like but you can't quit and we're crying and we're like what are you doing this is not the time it was just crazy how he we went on a holiday together and then I was playing because when he decides he doesn't want to play tennis he doesn't want to see tennis he doesn't want to have anything to do with tennis and I love tennis and I kept taking kids with me to play tennis and then he showed up the third fourth day and he saw me because I found this old machine, tennis machine, and I was starting to, like, I'm, I'm gonna play against the machine because I don't have a coach, and Stefan is collecting balls, and we're playing on the court, it's fun, you know, it's not just, you know, a, a, a practice which he is used to seeing, like, it's not fun anymore for him because it's too serious, it's too competitive, he just wants to, you know, enjoy and not feel the pressure, and luckily um, he saw how much we were having fun and how much we were enjoying being on the court, and then he was like, He's no shoes, just shorts, no, no shirt, nothing. And he was like, can I have a racket, please? <laughs> and I'm like, no, you're you're not playing anymore. You quit tennis, so just leave us the court. Now it's our time. You know, I'm teasing him, of course. And then Stefan says, okay, daddy, it's your turn now. And then he, 
um, took a few balls and started serving. And he was like, hmm, this is not feeling bad, you know, it's okay. <laughs> and then I said, can I play with you? And we started playing a bit. And after that, he was coming every single day with us to play um, with the kids. And then the last day he took the shoes and properly dressed himself and said, you know, I'm going to call Marian because that's the coach. Um, Marian Baida is his coach. And I'm going to ask him to come back and, you know, um, be my coach again. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> After that is a history because those were the, I think it was 10 days of him feeling I'm not playing anymore. But it was that year when he had the surgery and he tried he rushed himself to come back. Mm -hmm. This is unpatience, Novak. And then he didn't deliver with results. And he kept trying to... Um, nothing was happening. And everybody were telling him, slow down, slow down. And he's like, I don't want to slow down. Because even if you're injured, your life is all about recovery, recovery. And so he just loses it. And he wants to too soon. And then he falls and falls and falls and says, okay, that's it. So he's not such a good loser, you know, <laughs> but he is because he recovers. He's like this phoenix that finds this uh, motivation and complete drop. He needs to drop completely down, lose everything so he can start building another tower. And it's an amazing tower. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about the foundation. Uh, I, I know for a while you've been, this is, been something that's important to you and you've been pushing Novak as well to figure out how to use your platform to create social change. Uh, what's been your thought process on that front? I started thinking there's so many people in need and where do we start from first and how do we, um, how do we build the legacy? How do we become um, change makers and I always believe in education and I think that's a prevention of everything that we don't believe in this world. When we started doing the research, we realized that the best time to prevent everything is when you give attention, love and support the early age and that is from zero to six. That's when we create foundation for the tower we are building in life. What's been the biggest challenge or some of the biggest challenges in building the foundation? Uh, the biggest um, problem is that in our country, um, it's not as developed as in America, for instance. We still have to pay uh, taxes on the donations, <laughs> you know, which is wow. strange. Um, so even if somebody donates, we still have to give a portion of funds to the you know, country, which is strange because we give everything to the country. <laughs> you know, when you do philanthropy, that's all you do. You help the country. Um, so have, they haven't yet recognized that. Another thing is that you can't find people who actually believe in such um, philosophy. And there is the reason why we are doing this is because not many people know how important it is to give the children at that age as much attention and love. In Serbia, every other child does not have the ac access to the kindergartens, which is um, main reason why we have focused on um, um, opening more, uh, more um, uh, kindergartens in Serbia because there are not enough. And then there is also to raise the awareness of how important it is for children to go to kindergartens because their parents still don't think it's an important um, aspect of their childhood, especially in rural areas where the children are just left to play 
which is beautiful, but they still need some socialization. So we, uh, we have developed a program called um, uh, Schools of Life which is four hours a day in small villages. So they play, they draw together and they learn together new things. The socialization is so important. The kids have to you know, interact with other children and to learn to share, to learn to uh, see the differences and appreciate the differences rather than judge and overcome obstacles and work as a team. Another aspect of our work is that we work with parents as well. So we have the project called uh, Support Not Perfection for parents such as I was, you know, they want to be perfect, they want to do everything perfect for their child and then they realize that's not what your child needs, you know. Your child doesn't have to have a perfect parent, it needs to have a supportive parent and all is aimed to help the kids grow up into uh, responsible adults. The PhD program with the University of Belgrade, how did that come about? It's not just about us uh, giving to the communities and opening kindergartens, it's also about um, as I said, raising awareness, and you can't raise awareness without the data. And we need people who actually recognize the importance of digging deep in all this and learning more about children and their needs and how do you raise a conscious adult tomorrow to be the leader of the society. And we want more experts on the early childhood education to be out there, spreading the word, making, you know, being the ambassadors. The work that you've done over the years through the foundation that you're most proud of would be what? I'm very grateful that we have woken up uh, villages in our country because you know if you want to go and visit some of the kindergartens you have to drive a few hours in the middle of nowhere and then you find this beautiful uh, school that is um, gathering children from surrounding villages into a, a safe place, loving place where it's gonna, they're going to be nurtured and most of the geniuses are coming from those small environments. And I love that. I love that we are, um, we are waking up the countryside because we love nature. We love people you know, working in the fields and, and nurturing the mother nature. And um, we are giving back by have, you know, helping them stay there because their kids don't need to go to the cities where their schools. We are showing them you can raise your children in a beautiful environment. We are here and we're going to keep investing for you to stay here. And they are grateful and I think that's a beautiful contribution to what we believe in as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my chat with Yelena Djokovic. To get an inside look at their foundation and to see clips from my interview with her husband, Novak, go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger. And you can visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.